Welcome to Oncofarm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I am a professor of pharmacy practice at the supporting sponsor of Oncofarm, uh, ETSU's Bill Catton College of Pharmacy. Got a lot to get to today, so getting right into it, uh, hitting some uh, some quick hitters, uh, some updates from ASCO GI, which was a couple weeks ago we haven't talked about yet. Uh, the first is uh, is Topaz-1, which was a phase three randomized controlled trial in patients with advanced or metastatic cholangiocarcinoma, so cancers of the gallbladder uh, or bile ducts, uh, and they were uh, randomized to standard cisplatin and gemcitabine, plus or minus the PD-L1 uh, monoclonal antibody Dervalumab. They get chemo for up to eight cycles, and then Dervalumab, they got it during chemo and, uh, you know, until disease progression. Um, at the first interim analysis, there was a modest improvement in overall survival in the Dervalumab arm. Uh, the hazard ratio was 0.8, uh, which was statistically significant. Um, the, the curve continued to separate over time, so it's a little bit more impressive at the 12-month mark than earlier on. Now, the median time to follow-up was 16, 16.8 months, and the curves did steadily separate from months 12 to 18. Uh, and if that continues to hold with longer follow-up, you know, we're going to have a new standard of care for, for metastatic cholangio. Uh, not been published yet, so I haven't read all the details of, you know, post-protocol therapy, which, to be honest, there's not great post, like, second-line treatment for cholangio, so... Um, you know, the, the folks that, that say they know things say this is going to be the new standard of care. Uh, the next study uh, is interesting little uh, interesting concept here. This is Himalaya, and this is uh, advanced uh, hepatocellular carcinoma, also not published. Uh, and this was, um, serafinib was the control arm in this study, which is an outdated control arm. Now, you know, the, the ideal control arm for, for HCC at least for CHALP-UA, would be a tizolizumab and bevacizumab. They did sh- they did serafinib, which had historically been the standard of care based on the SHARP study published more than a decade ago. Um, so they got serafinib, or they got serafinib plus one dose, a single dose of tremolimumab, which is a CTLA-4 monoclonal antibody. This thing's been around the market, or not? it has not been on the market. It's been around the block for a long time, been studied in lots and lots of different disease states, and it's not FDA-approved, which maybe tells you something about uh, its chances as a drug. But just a single dose of tremolimumab uh, plus serafimab uh, appear to improve overall survival, hazard ratio 0.78, uh, median overall survival 16.4 versus 13.8 in the serafinib alone arm. Now, that I, I point this out to learners. Uh, you know, the, the median OS here for serafinib is 13.8 months, which is um, three months longer than what was seen in the SHARP study, which established serafinib as a standard of care at the time for HCC. And that's always going to happen when you look at one arm uh, a decade uh, from now to a decade ago, just because we have better post-protocol therapy. The folks who progressed on uh, serafinib probably went on to receive, uh, you know, newer drugs we didn't have then with immune checkpoint inhibitors or, or TKIs. Okay, so, uh, you know, tremolimab is not uh, FDA approved, so, you know, nothing to change practice now, but this is another uh, in the line of therapy, uh, or in the line of uh, the evolution of immune checkpoint inhibitor therapy, where for CTLA-4 antibodies, we tend to be gravitating towards a uh, a lower dose, in this case a one-time dose, but a low dose less frequently, like one time, can't get less frequent than that, uh, is the ideal balance of efficacy and safety as CTLA blockers like ipilimumab or more toxic that are PD-1 or PD-L1. Uh, the next one presented there was Destiny Gastric-01. Uh, this led to the uh, the FDA approval of uh, FAM-Trestuzumab-Durextacan for 
uh, HER2 uh, amplified gastric or, or gastroesophageal junction cancer after prior trastuzumab-based uh, regimen. This was already FDA approved. This was just the public or the the presentation of this. Uh, not a whole lot here. There was also some chatter for some studies here and there about MSI high colon cancer. It's more likely to be right-sided colon cancer, uh, maybe more likely in younger folks. Um, and maybe there's some association with the microbiome on the right side that seems to be associated with right-sided colon cancers and MSI high, MSI high colon cancers. Um, you know, the chatter here is that, you know, maybe MSI high colon cancer becomes a disease uh, that you, you might not need surgery. And there was, um, this was not actually presented at, at ASCO GI, but Checkmate 142, which was published in October in the Journal of Clinical Oncology, looked at Nevo and Ipilimumab. Uh, for for previously untreated metastatic colon cancer, and like half these folks had had, uh, or forty some percent had had adjuvant chemo, ninety one percent had had prior surgery, actually, um, and the overall response rate was sixty two percent with metastatic disease, which is quite good. Twenty four percent CRA, so there is some credence to this. These were folks that maybe had their primary tumor uh, removed, had some recurrence. 24%, you know, one in one in five, basically, or one in four, basically, had a complete remission. Uh, and maybe with long enough follow-up, you could see cure. So we are seeing more and more evidence, these folks with MSI high colon cancer, uh, that, um, you know, we got to make sure that they get some immune checkpoint header. So that's kind of, those are the quick hitters, all right? Uh, I want to spend the rest of the time talking about this, uh, not the rest, but the bulk of the rest of the time talking about uh, what was just published in the New England Journal of Medicine uh, yesterday, which is Checkmate 648 which is um, chemo uh, plus uh, immunotherapy versus chemo alone versus dual immune checkpoint inhibitors in nevo-ipi in metastatic esophageal squamous cell uh, carcinoma. So a little bit of a history here, okay? So um, several years ago, Attraction 3 was published uh, in, uh, I think it was Lancet Oncology, and you wouldn't know it by the name, but this is a nivolumab study. It's not a checkmate. It's an attraction three, and this was second line um, metastatic uh, esophageal cancer, squamous cell carcinoma. So esophageal cancer, you know, the top two thirds of the esophagus, squamous cell. The bottom third is adeno. So most of the time, when you just hear esophageal cancer, usually it's going to be squamous cell. Although you do see some adeno, and this makes it a little challenging, especially looking back at older literature for esophageal cancer. Uh, is it squamous uh, or adeno? This becomes important because squamous cell cancers, if you think head and neck cancer, if you think uh, anal cancer, uh, you think cervical cancer, large role for radiation in treating uh, squamous cell carcinomas, it, it seems, if you look at it that way. All right, so back to attraction three. So these folks are, had already had, you know, uh, platinum and fluoropyrimidine-based treatment, uh, and this was second-line nivolumab versus taxing, basically physician's choice of paclitaxel or docetaxel. And there was a small overall survival benefit. And then most po most folks said, all right, so nivolumab is now our second line metastatic treatment option here. Um, now, they didn't segregate by PDL one in that study, all right? I just tell you that to let you know that there is a role for immune checkpoint inhibitor in these folks with squamous cell metastatic um, esophageal cancer. You would not want to deny somebody that after they progressed on a platinum 5-FU-based chemo regimen. Uh, recently, this was last year, and I'm pretty sure we covered this on the pod. We had check note, check, um, sorry, I almost said check note, keynote 590. This was Pembro plus chemo, cisplatin 5-FU. Uh, they did the standard 80 milligram to cisplatin, 80 per meter squared on day one, 800 of 5-FU um, per meter squared on days one to five, uh, plus pembrolizumab. Now, 
This was esophageal cancer, metastatic, previously untreated in the metastatic setting, and 73% of these folks were esophageal. Uh, there are another 16% who are adeno and 11% who are adeno at the GEJ uh, junction. Uh, I guess that, that J is redundant. Now, what we saw in Keynote 590 is an overall survival benefit in the entire population. That hazard ratio was 0.73. That hazard ratio was more impressive at 0.62 if you only looked at those patients who had a PDL1 composite uh, tumor score um, of 0.62. Um, and it was even more impressive. It goes from 0.73 in everybody to 0.62 just with high PDL1 to 0.57 if the PDL1 is above 10 and their squamous cell histology. And there was no difference. I didn't test it uh, in, in those who were PDL1 negative, I think. Okay, so there's, there's history here that in the metastatic esophageal setting, adding an immune checkpoint inhibitor, uh, PD-1 inhibitor plus chemo seems to be what we should do for these folks, especially if they're esophageal, uh, squamous cell, and they have uh, you know good PD-L1 expression. So it's in that setting we look at checkmate 648, which was the same cis-platin 5-FE regimen, plus or minus nivolumab, so the one arm is chemo alone, Another arm is chemo plus nivolumab. And then uh, a third arm was Nevo, uh, three migs per kg every two weeks, plus Ipi, one mig per kg Q6 weeks. So a lower dose of Ipi uh, um, more frequently here uh, with a trend I've noted. And by the way, the nivolumab dose with chemo was a fixed dose of 240 a day. Uh, now all these folks were metastatic esophageal cancer, 99% uh, squamous, 70% uh, Asian, <coughs> which is... Uh, similar to what you saw in, in Keynote 590 that was more than 50% Asian. I don't think there's any pharmacogenomic differences uh, that we necessarily have to worry about here. Uh, uh, however, we might, uh, as I'll talk about a little bit later on, and um, I'll point out, I don't know what the standard second-line options would be if these folks would have gotten a volumab uh, maybe in some of these Asian countries. Uh, and the whole population was basically a 50-50 mix between PD-L1 less than 1%, PD-L1 more than 1%, which was PDL1 expression in the study defined as not just the tumor cells, but also immune cells in the tumor sample. All right, so if you look at uh, their first thing that they looked at is PDL1 expression um, overall survival. All right, so let's just look at those folks first, and then in a hierarchical manner, then they looked at the overall population. So we'll do it the way they did because they know better. Um, so median overall survival, and I'm going from chemo to Nevo plus chemo, to Nevo Epi. So median overall survival is nine months with chemo, 15.4 months, uh, so more than six months numerically with Nevo chemo, and then 13.7 with Nevo Epi. Um, and, and both of those nivolumab regimens uh, are significantly better than chemo. The 12-month landmark overall survival rates are 37% with chemo, and then 58 and 57% with the nivolumab arm, so comparable. Um, and both of those were statistically significant. I will point out, as you might expect, the Nevo-Ipi uh, arm compared to chemo, there is crossover. More folks die in the first six months assigned to Nevo-Ipi than to uh, the chemo arm. Uh, we've seen that in uh, over and over again when chemo is compared to checkpoint inhibitor alone, even in MSI high uh, metastatic colorectal cancer. All right, now if you look at all patients, so what we just looked at were the half of the patients who are PD-L1 positive. Now let's look at everybody, and it includes the PD-L1 negative. Well, the, the median overall survival for the chemo arm went from 9 to 10.7 months. So chemo, you know, that kind of tells you in the PD-L1 negative arm, the chemo 
worked better for those patients than if they were PD-L1 positive. Uh, Nevo plus chemo, median overall survival, was 13.2 months. This is lower by, uh, by 2.2 months than the Nevo chemo arm. And uh, Nevo Ipi uh, went from 13.7 median overall survival to 12.7 months. Now that's median, and you know, that's just not a, it's just an easy way to try to compare things, but it's not an ideal way to compare things. Ideally, what you would do is you'd have uh, a subgroup analysis and you could see the numbers for the PDO1 negative cohort, which they don't do. They don't give you that, but in the supplementary appendix, you do see that. And just um, if you think simply, and I'm a simple person, here are the hazard ratios for Nevo uh, plus chemo compared to chemo um, in the PDO1 positive population. In PDO1 positive, it's 0.5, right? 0.54. Let's call it 0.5. In Nevo chemo uh, versus chemo for all patients, it's uh, 0.74. All right, so if you have a hazard ratio that is 0.5 in half the people and a hazard ratio that's 0.75 in twice the amount of people, the entire cohort, what do you think the hazard ratio is in the PDL1 negative, the other half? Well, 0.575. It's probably about one. And yeah, the hazard ratio is 0.98. So there doesn't appear to be any benefit of adding nivolumab plus chemo upfront to these folks that are pd one negative with metastatic esophageal cancer based on what we see here in this checkmate study with nivolumab and what we saw in the keynote study uh, 590 with pembrolizumab. Now curiously, the e even if you just look at these, the pd one positive uh, patients, you know, the overall survival benefit appears to be of a larger magnitude than any benefit in progression-free survival. And typically, you know, in cancer, we see the other thing. We see a benefit in PFS and then no benefit in overall survival. And that could be because we think immune checkpoint inhibitors, immune therapy, take a bit longer to work. All right, well, or maybe they don't work as well. Maybe they play better defense. Well, if you look at, you know, response rates uh, just in the PD-L1 positive cohort, the overall response rate was 20% with chemo, 53% with Nevo plus chemo, very impressive, and then 35% with Nevo IPI, numerically better than chemo. Complete response rate, 5% with chemo, that's kind of what you would expect, not very many CRs, 16% with Nevo chemo, and 18% with Nevo IPI. So if you want all the cancer to go away, the Nevo IPI arm may be the better option, although it's pretty close to just the Nevo chemo. Now the median duration of response, 5.7 months with chemo, a little bit better, 8.4 with Nevo plus chemo, and then a little bit better even still with nivolumab, ipilimumab at 11.8 months. So it doesn't like the immunotherapy folks are not responding to chemo, uh, or or that, especially with Nevo Ipi, that they respond quickly, and then it doesn't last long. They have long median durations of response, so there should not be, uh, you know, I'm suspicious. Why is this PFS benefit not matching the overall survival benefit? And of course, the question that you would have to ask what is the treatment that they're getting after they progress? These are metastatic patients. We expect them to progress and go on to second-line therapy. This is not in the publication. It is in the supplementary appendix. What is their second-line chemo? So the folks that got chemo, only 15 and 16%, depending on whether it's the whole patient population or the PDL1 positive population, 15 to 16% got a second-line or subsequent treatment with an immune checkpoint inhibitor. And the number should be 100. It should be everyone who gets second-line treatment based on what we saw in attraction. Instead, what most of these folks got, like 52%, that got subs their subsequent therapy was a taxane. So what the takeaway is uh, from Checkmate 648 is chemo plus an immune checkpoint inhibitor followed by more chemo, because that's what those folks got on progression, is better than chemo followed by chemo, because only 15% got 
you know, nivolumab or pembrolizumab or, or whatever in a second line setting. So um, this, this, this poor access to second line care, this pops up over and over again. So this is really a constellation or a microcosm of the challenges in figuring out how to treat our patients in that these are industry-sponsored studies. Uh, they, they're, they're not fully transparent, but they're not hiding the fact here that, that, that they're kind of cherry-picking just pdl one positive patients, but they're also enriching the whole population with pdl one positive patients. You know, Tom Brady just re retired, and if you looked at how many Super Bowls he won at New England, it'd be a pretty good number. And if you looked at the number of Super Bowls the New England Patriots have won, it'd be a pretty good number. But the number of Super Bowls they've won without Tom Brady... Uh, it's not very many, okay? All right. The last thing I want to talk about uh, could be, I think maybe, and this could be hyperbolic, but it's on, it's on a podcast. You guys can call me out if I'm wrong years from now. It uh, could be the future of immune checkpoint inhibitor therapy in some way. So this is, um, the FDA uh, this past week, in the past week, uh, approved uh, Tebentafusp, and it ends in FUSP. Fusion protein, FUSP, tibentafusp, in metastatic uveal melanoma, so melanoma of the eye that then metastasizes. And it doesn't metastasize like, you know, to to your brain. I guess it can, but usually it goes to the liver, right? It just kind of illustrates how fast a metastatic melanoma is, right? It's kind of like a whack-a-mole. Now, what's interesting about this approval, and I, I've been talking for a while, so I'm not going to go into everything about this study, and there's a lot of toxicity with this drug. Um... But what's interesting about this drug, it is a fusion protein. It's a bispecific engager. Uh, one half or one arm of this uh, is a um, uh, basically a, a peptide that is very specific for GP100. It has a very high affinity for GP100, which is a glycoprotein 100. It's a transmembrane protein expressed on melanocytes and uh, melanoma in the eye and most melanomas. Uh, that's one end. And the other end... Uh, has a high specificity uh, or affinity for uh, CD3, which is part of the T-cell receptor. Um, so the that's, okay, sounds like a lot of fusion proteins, all right, uh, and this, you know, the bispecific proteins. What's unique about this is this T-cell receptor binding part is uh, specific to a certain human leukocyte antigen genotype, so HLA-A, star O2 colon O1, uh, which the publication in EJM from last fall says um, is, uh, is positive in 45% of the U.S. and European population. And so what we have here is, is not just an antigen, GP100, binding to the T-cell receptor, is we have something that enhances that binding in between. It's kind of like there's a guy at the bar and he's perfect for this other girl at the bar, but they're never going to meet because it's a crowded bar. They need a dating app to bring them together. This fusion protein brings the melanocytes that have the GP100 to the T-cells thanks to this uh, to Bentafuse. But it's even more specific than, than T-cell receptor and, and GP100 because our T-cell receptors are a little bit different in, in, uh, in, in how well they bind to these GP100 peptides, because that peptide binding is dependent on the MHC1, major histocompatibility complex one expression on the cell, a melanocyte cancer cell. And we have HLA-A, HLA-B, HLA-C, those are the main ones that make up uh, MHC1. So, and we've seen some of this in immune checkpoint inhibitor therapy, that there are certain genotypes with HLA-A or HLA-B or HLA-C where people respond better. So what you could see, and this maybe is the start of this, 
is that there is a a, a pembrolizumab is kind of for everybody. Well, maybe the next generation of immune checkpoint inhibitors are more specific for the most prevalent HLA genotypes in a population. And this might, uh, maybe would explain, maybe could be there's some differences genetically for folks. Um, but that would be an even more radical way uh, of, of practicing individualized medicine. Um, so anyway, this was compared to, uh, for metastatic uveal melanoma, first-line treatment to uh, physician's choice of either Pembro, uh, Lizumab, Ipi, or Decarbazine. Fortunately, 82% of folks are getting Pembro, which is what they they should be getting. You could argue maybe they should get Pembro plus Ipi. But anyway, there there is an overall survival benefit. It was FDA approved. Um, it's a weekly uh, injection. Uh, you do have to ramp up the dosing from 20 micrograms day one, then 30 micrograms the next week, and then 68 micrograms weekly after that. So patients will have to come in pretty frequently for this as of now. Uh, pretty serious cytokine release syndrome can happen. Most of these folks get rash, transaminitis that needs to be monitored. So it's a pretty toxic thing. Um, and uh, you know we'll see how 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 popular this becomes. But what is really interesting is that this is um, you know specific to, to this genotype. And I, I don't know enough about the technology to know if if HLA A star O two O one if that just works better for the drug. But my guess is they chose that because most of those folks are in the U S. Uh, and in Europe, uh, in in more developed countries that would be more willing to pay for this. So you can kind of see uh, the rich getting richer, perhaps here as an example. So that's a lot that I've talked about today. Uh, Thank you uh, for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at FarmDNib. You can follow the podcast on both Twitter and Instagram at OncoFarmPod. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. Mm